Hello, hello, patrons, and welcome to another Something New to Watch, where we give a light discussion about movies and recent things we've seen. And this time, we watched a movie in theaters. I don't keep Ian chained in front of our TV at home all the time, making him watch old movies and old uh, TV shows. Occasionally, we do go out and see something that was produced in the last 10 years, in the last month. Yeah. And we watched Sonic. Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic the the Hedgehog, the feature film. Oh my goodness. This is a thing that, like, I never thought would happen. Yeah, it's Sonic the Hedgehog, the feature film, is just... I understand what the words mean. I don't understand why they are together. It's like it's trying to speak to me. (laughs) And yet, yeah, we, um, you know, being video game fans, being movie fans, we had to see, like, what what could this possibly be? You know, uh, this this could be a glorious disaster. I think we we need to go see this. So so we did shortly after it uh, it opened. And I, I I'm a I would call myself a fan of Sonic because I was I was a kid who got Sonic Adventure two for the GameCube and then tried to look up what in the world I was getting myself into and immediately learned. I I cannot dive this deep into this pool. I will sit by the sidelines and watch as the the oil slicked top of this pool catches on fire repeatedly. <laughs> the kind of observer from a distance of all of the sonic discourse over the ages. But just seeing how the internet responded to the announcement of this movie, and then of course how the internet responded to the first trailer of this movie. Oh yes, the horrifying initial CGI uh, designs. Oh yeah, and so I, I was so prepared for this movie to be to be as as one might expect a video game movie to become, even in the modern day and age. But they actually turned this around, and I was really amazed having gone now having seen it. This was a pretty good movie. It was, and that I can't express how astonishing that was we did not go into the theater expecting to get a a pretty good movie for our ticket price we expected to have an experience that would inform us in the the ongoing attempts of hollywood to make video game based movies and yet i think we really enjoyed this movie in some ways it fit one of the brilliant things i was engaged in what sonic was doing the entire time at no point did I think, I like this Sonic guy. And that's something I I always felt playing the games. He was always a little too cocky and a little too... Well, that's me. I never liked him, but I was interested to know what he was doing. And they kept that with the characterization in this film. They did. They tried to soften it a little bit in the movie by giving him enough of a backstory and enough emotion that you could kind of understand why he had the personality he did. He had lost so much, and he lived his life alone, observing others, but separated from them. That's going to kind of mess with your personality. You're going to put up a lot of barriers. You're going to be... You're, you're going to be cocky as a defense mechanism. And yet they showed... I can't believe I'm talking about Sonic, Sonic the Hedgehog <laughs> in these terms. They showed a certain degree of vulnerability that made him worthy of some compassion and uh, you kind of understood how james marsden's character the the kind of the the human half of this buddy duo came to uh to care about sonic so 
I wouldn't say that they did all of that perfectly, but they did it adequately and they did it effectively and it helped carry a pretty expansive movie. Yeah. It, it, it's a, when you really get down to it, it's a buddy road trip movie. No question. Yeah. No they, question. They, it's it, they picked a formula and they stuck to it. Stuck to it. But it's a formula they knew they could work around and they knew they could do well. And I was amazed at how much they were able to to keep that rolling with these characters and keep the narrative while making all of their references both both to modern pop culture but there is some deep cuts to Sonic the Hedgehog lore in there. Yes, they they did not ignore people who've been Sonic fans for decades. I mean, they've got echidnas right off the bat. There were and they set up a lot of stuff. Honestly, I feel like if they make a sequel, it's going to be even more of the the Sonic fans movie than the first one was. But the first one got everyone in position to play that game in the long run if they get a shot. I think so. Because, I mean, the the movie itself is... I'm not going to go through plot synopsis like we do in the stuff, but the, the movie itself is a highly self-contained story in terms of our bad guy is gone and our... Our hero has a family and, and and all is right, but they also immediately sequel bait with tales. They they set up friendships with the president and the United States government, which is honestly some of the most <laughs> bat crazy stuff that I loved from Sonic Adventure 2. Right. It's like, what on earth? And, and yet, you know, it, it's for a video game. You can accept it. And they somehow find a way for it to make sense in by the end of this movie. They never even mention emeralds somehow, which is amazing. They did a Sonic movie without the emeralds. Go them. Oh yeah, right. Uh, but they also, but they did somehow put rings to other places, like a like a bonus stage, and explaining why every time you hit him, he drops all his rings because it's a flimsy little <laughs> bag. Yeah, that's kind of a liability. He should he, he should have something else to keep those in. He really should. They explain why he gets his shoes, although they're not branded by soap, because apparently Sega <laughs> and the soap company have been like having a fight for a long time after oh, really? things. Wow. I don't I don't even know all the information, but I just know like branding from it got stripped out of later releases and whole things, despite the fact that they're the ones that explain why he grinds. This is the sort of strange depth I can go to rambling about this and i don't even consider myself a fan of this because i have met people who could out talk me this is why we had to go see this we movie regardless of whether we expected to be good or not and we didn't we didn't but we were surprised it right. was fun yeah there was plenty of good stuff i'm also amazed i watched a jim carrey movie i'm not usually his fan yeah for jim carrey for me it really depends on the role if it is a a an archetypical Jim Carrey role where it's Jim Carrey getting to be Jim Carrey for the most part. No, thank you. There have been some movies where Jim Carrey is doing some acting and I've liked it. This was a Jim Carrey role. And yet it was appropriate for the bad guy, Dr. Dr. Robotnik. Yeah. Uh, someone on Twitter was posting uh, bits from the comic uh, of like Dr. Robotnik pointing out, I could destroy everything Sonic holds dear with a nuclear bomb in an instant. It's about him knowing I was the one who bested him. And that kind of ego, my goodness, Jim Carrey can play a villain with that kind of ego. This like, it's not about the fact that I'm winning. It's about the fact that you know you're losing. Right. right. My goodness. <laughs> 
that's a for- that's a type of dark that he can do well because he's able to play it with the same sort of silly exuberance he puts into his other characters and that makes it scarier yes it makes it scarier and yet there is that little bit of silliness where you you never know at what moment is he going to lapse into some bit of incompetence or forget something or be humiliated by the good guys or something there is that sense of there being a release valve somewhere a full-on dramatic actor playing dr robotnik as a ruthless and effective villain that would just be a bit too oppressive there's something about jim carrey that as despicable as the character is it's lightened a little bit by the way he plays it yeah oh goodness i was just amazed though because they were able to play those off so well and I was I'm actually honestly excited to hear if if they tell me there's a sequel I'll be excited. I was never expecting that. I went from expecting this movie to flop, seeing a trailer and thinking this movie is dead to thinking how did they bring this back visually to oh, that was fun to wanting a sequel. This is a roller coaster outside of the theater, almost more so than it is in theater. <laughs> Yeah, I remember us on the way home from the theater. It is kind of, did you like that movie? I think I kind of liked that movie. I didn't expect to like that movie, but it was, it, is it was it was good. I think. Oh yeah, but yeah, if they if they give me another one that has echidnas, tails, emeralds, maybe even Chow, if they can give me Chow, I'm super delighted. <laughs> Honestly, I care about Chow more than I care about the entire Sonic franchise. I need another Chow Garden. <laughs> oh goodness i put so many hours into that game you sure did and most of them in the chow garden i have sprite sheets i used to make icons for people online <laughs> i made money in high school making people's <laughs> icons for like when social media was just starting up early facebook stuff my goodness but if they can give me back so if they can give me some of those things <laughs> And they tell me there's a sequel coming. I'll be excited. I'll I'm gonna go opening night then because they they somehow made it work. Now part of my fear is that other other video game movies that don't put in the the passion that this one did, or who release in a in a state more like what the first trailer looked like, are going to come afterwards. I'm a little worried this opened a floodgate the same way successful superhero movies opened floodgates. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a little worried that could be bad, but I'm also hopeful. Well, at the beginning of this movie, we got a kind of a studio card for Sega. Sega. In a way that I think they are tr- thinking about more Sega movies. I think a sequel to this is, I don't know if it's officially green yet, green lit yet, but it's got to be. It made a ton of money in its first weekend, shocked mm-hmm. everybody, I think. So, and they teed up a sequel at the very end of it. I think they're going to make more Sega video game movies. Give us, give us a Yakuza movie. Space Channel 5. Oh, goodness. Right, very close to the Sega image in, excuse me, very close to the Sonic image in that Sega studio card was a clip from Space Channel 5. 
I think we could get a Space Channel 5 movie, and I am so looking forward to that. Oh, we've been talking about so much weird sci-fi on the main show right now. I could see that so clearly, too. <laughs> Up. Down. Shoot, shoot, shoot. Can't, I mean, we were watching Buck Rogers in the 25th century and taking a look at some of these scenes, including like the big dance scene. Oh, goodness. This is getting kind of Space Channel 5, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And we could get a whole feature based on Space Channel 5 now. Well, we, we, talked, we talked on another Patreon thing about hackers. I could see a jet set radio. Oh, yes. yes getting yes, that yes. bit of hackers vibe, but with a bit of that kind of future punk tech going on. It's oh, somewhere man. between, it, you know... You know, cyberpunk and that that could work, right? Yeah, you got your 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 YA dystopia stuff going on. Oh yeah, that that, that, that is almost quint that is almost primed for that already. Yep, there's a lot of fun opportunities in the Sega pool, and who knows, this could get some of the other people to look at movies again. Yep, but Echo, Echo the Dolphin. <laughs> oh goodness, no, Seaman. Echo the Dolphin, the movie. I can't. I couldn't handle that. No, <laughs> but we, that's what we would have thought about Sonic, and yet they pulled it off. You know what? Echo the Dolphin, the movie, is going to be a better Alien movie than some of the recent Alien movies. <laughs> let's, let's, let's just take. Let's just take a deep breath and sadly admit that fact. I want to see the Echo the Dolphin movie as made by Christopher Nolan. <laughs> oh goodness! Oh goodness! Where's my, where, where, where's my uh, choo-choo rocket? Oh, now you're talking. Wes Anderson's choo-choo rocket. <laughs> Little cutaway spaceship. <laughs> that would be cool. Oh, that would, oh, now I'm going to have that song stuck in my head, but it's worth it. Wes Anderson's choo-choo rocket. I like it. I'm there. Oh, boy. I can see the guy who made Fantastic Mr. Fox making a choo-choo rocket movie. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I can see this working. Mm-hmm. And, and an Isle of Dogs. <laughs> We've got to get to the spaceship. There's a cat in the way. That's a problem. Is that your cat? <laughs> Not my cat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, goodness. But yeah, the Sonic movie was good. I, I'd say go see it. You're going to be surprised. Yeah. I mean, a, I'm, I'm sure tastes differ, but I would, would say go see it if you had, if you have any interest in either the kind, uh, in buddy road movies with a little bit of sci-fi or in video games, yeah, see it. And um, I am I am shocked to be saying that. It doesn't. Not every joke hits, but true to its name, it moves fast enough. You don't worry about the ones that don't. True. And and as far as the jokes and things, I don't want to suggest this is brilliant cinema. That this is a great movie. It's just an enjoyable movie. And that is so far above where I expected it to be that I'm raving about it. But be be realistic. It's it's if you've got a you know two dollar movie theater somewhere near you, or I guess they're not two dollars anymore. If you got a cheap movie theater near you, you can wait till it comes there. But uh, but it's it's worth seeing. Yeah, readjust for where the bar was set to begin with. But once you once you once you factor that, it was fun. Yeah. Yep. Hello, Patreon supporters, and welcome to this little bonus episode where we talk about something that is not our our usual feed, something usually connected to something else we've watched, and out of bounds, as we've called them. And this time, this was a movie that uh, 
our producer suggested because of its uh, after we mentioned it in relation to an episode where I took over because this one was mentioned in relation to Donnie Darko and I was really not expecting this tangent. And I think it was while we were recording about that, I, I realized I had to ask the question, have you seen this movie? I hadn't. And this one, I understand why that was asked. And then, and then mom went and got the uh, DVD for us to watch. Cause this is an odd one. And this movie is the, the 1950 film Harvey <laughs> from the, the 1944 play by Mary Chase. And the movie stars uh, James Stewart and a terrific ensemble cast. Oh my goodness. Well, apparently the ensemble cast that had done the stage production for a while. Many of the principal actors had been in the stage version, including James Stewart, didn't originate the role of Elwood P. Dowd, but he did play it on stage for some time. And it was unusual to get the the stage cast in the movie at the time. They usually recast and changed things around much more when they were adapting a play to film. But I don't think they changed much here, and I don't think they had to. No, I mean, it's... I'm of two minds about this, because I really liked this movie, this story. It was weird and fun. It was, I admit, full of a lot of the the awkward points that I have so much trouble with. Anyone who's listened and heard how I respond to awkward comedy knows that I was just bundled in a ball during parts of this, but it was really good. And at the same time, this, this is a very odd thing in the modern day for a couple of reasons, because some of its portrayals feel difficult to me in modern thinking. So I was in, I'm, I'm intrigued to ponder this as a media piece overall. Well, we should probably start by getting our bearings and giving our listeners their bearings, uh, in case anybody hasn't seen this. Some spoilers, of course, if you, if you haven't seen it. Uh, so why did this come up when we were talking about Donnie Darko? <laughs> why do you think? <laughs> because it's a, a guy with a giant bunny no one else can see. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness, this is like the chipper version of Donnie Darko. And we called Donnie Darko happy, but... <laughs> That was a weirdness well, on our part. We called it hopeful. hopeful. I don't know if we called it happy. We didn't call it happy. We called it hopeful. There's a difference. This there. one is happy. This <laughs> one is chipper. It, it's weird because it's about the fact that Mr. Edward P. Dowd can't. It has a, a best friend, this giant bunny named Harvey that no one else can see. But he goes around town going to a pub, inviting people to dinner when they're down on their luck, just being a friendly guy. And there's this tension between his family that doesn't want to be known as the guy, as the family of the guy with the giant invisible bunny, and all of his friends who are just chill with this because he's a nice guy who invites me to dinner and and it listens to my problems. It, it's this odd little social situation of being the town therapist with my invisible bunny. And there's um, there's a lot of tensions there, and as you say, they. They come off differently now than they probably did in in nineteen fifty, but there is there's this general belief by everybody around him that Elwood is simply mentally ill, that he's crazy. He's he's very clearly somebody who drinks a lot. Yes, and he makes no pretense about that. That's his favorite thing to do: is go out with Harvey and the two of them have a drink or several. But on the other hand. It doesn't take long for the movie to 
begin to make it more clear that Harvey is probably not a figment of his imagination. It goes for a very long stretch where that's ambiguous. But they do specify Harvey is a puka, the mischievous spirit from Celtic mythology that will often gravitate towards... I think they had this great litany in the the definition they read in the movie of partial to rum pots and crack pots. And you could say Elwood was, was both. But um, there, there start, it starts with just these small movements of Elwoods. But over the course of the movie, we see physical objects get manipulated. We see uh, writing being changed and added. We see a few moments where there is tactile inter- interaction with the world and its information outside of Elwood that make that less ambiguous. And that is the, the big kind of reveal of the seeming reality of this. Yeah, that's a, a good point that I, I keep thinking that it's really in the last third, maybe the last quarter, that it becomes unambiguous. Harvey is real. Before that, it's mostly the reality of Harvey is conveyed by how absolutely real and physical he seems to Elwood. And that is where you know, James Stewart is doing such a great job of, of acting around this invisible thing and ushering Harvey different places and holding the door for him and and always looking at a consistent place to see Harvey's uh, sight line. That is some amazing acting on his part. He sells this so much because he is honestly acting two parts. He is acting Edward and he is acting Harvey because it is purely by his interaction with the space that you are aware of him at times. Because he's the one acknowledging where he is and moving around him and doing all that and that means he is the one who has to physically in the stage presence command both locations in that sense and you pointed out something really important there in that there is that point maybe a, a with in the last third or quarter of the movie where where you start to see more evidence but there is that point much earlier where somebody's reading that definition i mentioned of a puka and it's clearly been manipulated somehow. This reference book, this dictionary or encyclopedia, has been manipulated by Harvey. Yeah. To drop in a little mischievous joke at the specifically targeted at the person who's reading it in that moment. Who has this who's, brilliant little freak out of the what what what? what, what, what suddenly what, the, the encyclopedia entry is talking specifically to him by name. And is that a manipulation of the text on the physical paper? It is is it a manipulation of the perception of the person who's reading it? How much does it matter? Either way, there's something going on in that moment. And that, I guess that really is, you're right, the first time when this is clearly not just Elwood's hallucination. So this is, adding to it, this is a man seeing a giant invisible bunny and dealing with supernatural forces upon his otherwise normal everyday life. This is very much Donnie Darko connected. I was very, very <laughs> bewildered. I don't know if Harvey ever tells Elwood to do anything, though. No. Harvey seems very agreeable, and so, of course, is Elwood. So, in some ways, it is, it's a mirror of uh, image of Donnie Darko in that it's everybody's happy to go along with, with, with anything, be it Harvey or, or Elwood, as opposed to there's something desperately wrong with the world and we need to fix it from Donnie Darko. That makes Donnie Darko much more of its era, though. In some of that attempt, yeah. it is it is a 
I, I, I would call Donnie Darko a, a twist on Harvey in that sense, it, because it is attempting to take that grungy aesthetic and apply it. Yeah, there's there are very um, a very different cultures in America and in, in, in Britain at the 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 final year and, and immediate post war years, World War Two versus the turn of the twenty first century. Yeah, you're right. These these reflect their times pretty well in that way. But so much of the movie is around the character of Elwood P. Dowd. Including, for most of the movie, it seems like Harvey is a, an extension of the character of Elwood P. Dowd. And I have very mixed feelings about that character. Yeah! He is in many ways a person with trouble played for laughs. And that is always awkward. There is, even outside of Harvey's presence, I wouldn't call Elwood completely stable. And I think that's one of the points of the movie is that by the, the, the standards of ordinary society, he is not. He's definitely not stable. But they almost, they do a lot, I think, to make that seem admirable because the way that he differs from society is by being so pleasant and so nice. And I think there's even a line there that Elwood says, you know, what his mother told him once that, in this life, you have to either be oh-so-smart or oh-so-pleasant, and I recommend pleasant. And he's pleasant in a way that he's... Some of it is absolutely admirable. Everybody he meets, he'll give his name, ask their name, be interested in them as an individual, whether it's a prominent uh, doctor or the guy who mans the prominent doctor's door. He will treat them equally and be equally interested in all these people. And in half of them he meets, he invites them to dinner. And he he will express preferences, but he will also go along with ultimately with what other people would like to do. And that is seen as such a variance from from the way society is supposed to work that it's seen as a dangerous illness. Mm -hmm. And that aspect of him is the delightful part. He is amicable in a way that is admirable. But there are parts of his drifting from place to place and his disregard of his family's concerns at times, not, not, in, a, not in a completely negative way, but in a, like, he seems smart enough he could stop and talk, but he doesn't bother with them because he's doing, a bunch, doing these other things. And there's times when he seemed dismissive of them. To the rest of the world, that sounded weird to me. It, maybe that was just how I read it, but it was odd. Well, there are there are a couple of things there. One of them is that he he was always ready to be pleasant and to go along with what other people wanted, but he never. I don't think we ever see him or hear him deny the truth as he perceived it. I think the only way at the beginning of the movie, the only way to make his sister and his niece happy would have been to disclaim the existence of Harvey. Mm. And that, from Elwood's point of view, that would simply be falsehood. And Elwood wasn't going to lie about it. You don't want to spend time with Harvey. Well, okay. You don't have to. But he's not going to pretend Harvey's not real, because obviously Harvey's real from, to him. And if he's meeting someone for the first time, and he's there with Harvey, he's not going to ignore Harvey He's going to be the polite person, and if he's had got a friend next to him and he's just been introduced to someone, he's going to introduce his friend. Why on earth wouldn't he? So, 
in that respect, I don't I don't don't know that we ever saw him being impolite or dismissive of his uh, of his family's wishes. But it never occurred to him that there could be that that they might have had wishes that would involve him not being truthful. Yeah. Or not being fair. He hears they're throwing a party and he's like, oh, I've got to go back to it. It's like, eh. Well, yeah, I got, I got, but yeah, but, there, there, there's small things. And part of that is trying to figure out what is him and what is moments set up for comedy to make sure everyone right. winds up in a room in that. And that's always difficult. And it is his house. It would have been odd to have a gathering there and not yeah. introduce himself. I, yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of odd things tripped up in this. But overall, there was things about his depiction as a, even if he in the end was not a person with it, with mental illness, their depiction of what that would be like and such was awkward and the sanitarium was highly disturbing moments and such. They, they play a lot more of mental health services for scare and laugh in a way that is not pleasant, but that's also because they're trying to make them antagonists, and it's like, yeah, there's a balancing act here that I always felt weird. Yeah, and I, I think to a certain extent that some of this was intended as an indictment of some of the ways psychiatry was practiced at the time. Absolutely. In that there was a, a rush to medicalize differences. And, uh, spoilers again for this, this movie, the decision ultimately comes down to whether or not to administer to Elwood this treatment. It was a, um, you know, MacGuffin that there was a serum that if we give him this injection, he'll be shocked back into reality or consensus reality. And you're right. It, it all came down to how do we keep this person from being a bother to others and or how do we get them in line with the way everybody is, quote unquote, supposed to live? Mm-hmm. And that was the bottom line for for the psychiatrists. They were not really interested in what was life like for Elwood Dowd? What uh, if he is differing from consensus reality? Why? Or if he does have a mental illness, what is it? What was and, and what can be done not to change him, but to help heal him? And um, so you're right, because of all of this, the what we see of the mental health treatment establishment were the, the antagonists um, or rather the system they were in were the antagonists. Some of the people, we see them kind of being caught in this mindset and then realizing they, there were other ways they could think about people. Absolutely. And that's part of the thing. Like At the time, there was definitely more problems with that system. So seeing a movie of the time make that points, good points, understandable. Seeing a thing now, making comments against that when, I mean, there's still those, some of those problems in there. There's absolutely an issue with this alienation of the other, but there's also better help that is available and understanding to be able to help deal with things that are personal impediments, not to keep you from, not to put people in the rest of the world, but to help a person be better at themselves is important. And so it is always that fine line to see it ever depicted and knowing when it's depicted from is important, but that doesn't make it less awkward to see it depicted that way in the now, if it feels skewed. And, and one of the reasons it comes off that way and it comes off as that antagonistic relationship is that they very much set us up to to be on Elwood's side to the extent that there's a side mm-hmm. and to 
even before we really have reason to believe that Harvey is real, we have a lot of reason to like Elwood. And not that we don't have reason to give any sympathy to his family's concerns. They, the movie does a great job, and this is where some of its comedy lies, in showing that the quote-unquote normal people have lots of problems that they don't recognize as problems because it's just the way the world is. In having what they have to do to deal with society, how easily they're thrown off their game by anything out of the ordinary. And again, that's where a lot of the comedy comes from. And that's where another reason why we're set up so well to, to be on Elwood's side. That he's at least Elwood is honest about everything. He's not claiming that everything's great except for this one thing. And if I could just fix that one thing, the world would be perfect. He accepts the world as it is and makes it as perfect as he can based upon how he responds to it. But that brings me to, I was talking earlier that they, they set up Elwood to be an admirable character. In some ways, an aspirational character. Wouldn't it be something to be able to live the way Elwood P. Dowd does? To be friends with everybody? To be so generous with his time and so generous with his thought? And I come up against some of the similar, for me, some of the similar criticisms that I have with, say, Forrest Gump and such, where it's just so easy to say, isn't this a wonderful person? He'll go along with anything. I don't know that that makes one a wonderful person. Absolutely. There is. And and I'm not saying Dowd is necessarily a Forrest Gump character. Dowd has more agency and choice and exhibits more of that than Forrest Gump ever does. Absolutely. There is a... An innocence to the ignorance of the the greater plights in the world there <laughs> that makes it awkward because you have to become you have an adult in adult almost childish in their in their mentality at that time they they are happy to go with the world they are they seem to be a little unaware of some of the larger problems going on the, he will happily listen to the man who's down on his luck. But he doesn't seem concerned with what put the man down on his luck. He's there for the guy who's the, who's down. And that's great. And offering him a dinner now is great. But that's not going to help him after that dinner. Right. And there's a yeah. weirdness to this of the like. The amicable person's nice, but I'm also concerned that he'll go along with anything no matter what. Yeah. He's and, inviting this guy to dinner to celebrate his the end of his most recent stint in prison. Yeah. And never doesn't seem very interested in what's this person's life like that keeps leading him to 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 to, to prison. Mm-hmm. You could you could you could see someone taking advantage of his offer to dinner and robbing him blind <laughs> in a bad situation. That makes me nervous because that is a that is a the offer and the ability to offer is a positive and admirable thing. The sensibility to be able to say, but I'm going to make sure <laughs> that I'm there with him in the room all the time is not something you think is going through his head just in case, because the absolute trust there is, is a positive and a negative in a weird way. I think you're right about that, though it is one of the f- clearly fantasy elements mm-hmm. that I'm willing to accept for the sake of this movie. And that is that. By being so very pleasant, as he puts it, Elwood brings out the best in other people, eventually. Sometimes it takes a while to get there. 
but I can't see anyone in the Harvey universe accepting Elwood's generosity and his compassion and his his interest in them as a person. I can't see anybody in this setting accepting that and not being changed by it and coming to dinner and stealing the silver just because it would there's something about the 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 Elwood P. Dowd field that he generates that touches everybody around him. For, and, and that's so good. Well, again, it's it's a fantasy. It's a very pleasant and, and fun fantasy that someone can change the world and change other people's lives just by being nice. Not that that isn't powerful, but again, this is exaggerated for the sake of fantasy. For any of our Patreon listeners who play a D&D, run Edward P. Dowd as a, as a bard. And then pure charisma and cast nothing but charm person. He'll play a game exactly like this giant bunny familiar. Go with it. There is a level of almost magical. You're my friend now. We're having soft tacos later. And no one ever questions that. And that is that is part of the magical nature of this world. But there's another part about the Edward P. Down, Edward Ed, Elwood. Excuse me. Elwood. Oh, I don't know why I trip over that. The Elwood P. Dowd. We've been messing that up all episode, haven't we? I don't think so. Once or twice. I've been messing this up. I apologize. One of the other things, though, about the Elwood P. Dowd character that for some reason loomed larger in this most recent viewing, Elwood P. Dowd is rich. Yeah, he's he really well off. He has the whole the setup of the movie is the fact that there's him and his sister and his sister's daughter, who is of an age where she is wanting to find a husband, and their mother, Elwood and his sister's mother, has passed away recently and left everything to Elwood. So the house is Elwood's. All the money that this family has, and based on this house, I get the impression that's a significant amount of money, is Elwood's. He's absolutely delighted to have his sister and his niece living there, but they chafe under the fact that they're living in his house. And it's a lot easier to be Elwood Dowd when you have a lot of money, when you don't have any responsibility, when you don't have to worry about the necessities of life. You don't have to worry about earning a living. You can afford to be overly generous. You can even afford to be taken advantage of a little bit, and it's not going to destroy your life. I think there's a problem with presenting a character as aspirational when the way that character behaves is very dependent upon a situation that that character didn't have control over. Certainly nobody else watching the story has control over in their lives, to, to that extent, at least. It's, um, it's kind of a disingenuous if, if the message is, wouldn't we all be better if we lived like Elwood P. Dowd? Well, no, not necessarily. Yeah. Charity is easy when everything else is. And that is a powerful part of this because he is able to, he's able to spend how much on booze mm-hmm. every day to be there yeah. at the bar and listen to people and drink. That's, that's just big. And meanwhile, the people he's talking to are as grateful for the fact that he'll buy them the drink that they might not get sometimes with some of these folks, I think. Maybe. I think that's ambiguous. Sure. That's but ambiguous, at, but at it's At the very least, they seem to appreciate the interest that Dowd uh, uh, expresses in them. Oh, yeah. And I think there are other stories that tell a similar, that portray a similar character. And again, it's very easy to see uh, a, 
kind of a, a Buddhist or a Taoist parable in here about the way doubt goes through life. But there are other stories that I, I think depict similar characters in different circumstances. And again, they're fantasies generally, so everything works out because someone is nice. But it's harder to take that seriously when it starts out from this person has nothing to worry about. It's easy to be carefree when you have nothing to worry about. Absolutely. But it is neat to see towards the end of that movie that Harvey is not just for da- Elwood P. Dowd. No, he, and that he's not. Um, ultimately, it, it's it's clear that he's not a fantasy. And that's the that's almost the freakiest part to me because it implies that there's more than one Harvey out there. I think. Oh, really? I really got the ending, the feeling at the end there because it's not like the it's not like the book was talking about Harvey specifically. It well, yeah. talked in the plural. Yeah, Harvey and is a puka, not the puka. Exactly. And that means that if Harvey's real, and it's a plural, there might be more Harveys out there. Yes. And that is a weird thing in some ways, because, I mean, the world at the end is not the world at the beginning, not just because of the people affected, but because of what we know of it, which adds that fantasy element. But also, just, it makes you wonder how many Elwoods are in this world with their own Harveys. Well, and it makes you wonder the other stories of that world and what that's like. And that makes a change to the larger idea of the world. And you can be hopeful about that, but eh, it's odd. Uh, yeah. Although I'm not sure that everybody who finds and is friends with a Puka is necessarily like Elwood. I think Elwood was particularly interesting to a Puka because of the way he lived his life. Mm-hmm. But for a while, Harvey is interacting with the the chief psychiatrist at this uh, mental institution. And in fact, that's the first clear evidence we see of Harvey manipulating the physical world, is him following this psychiatrist into his office, and we see the doors invisibly opening and closing as Harvey walks through. Very excellent work. And yet the, uh, the psychiatrist's reaction to Harvey and to what he learned about Harvey from Elwood was very different than Elwood's. Elwood never seemed to want anything from Harvey, except friendly companionship for as long as Harvey wanted to be there. Whereas the psychiatrist very quickly fixated on what he was hearing from Elwood about what Harvey could do. And could Harvey do that for me? Could he give me the power to control space and time and spend two weeks wherever I want to? Never got that impression from Elwood. But it's the first thing this psychiatrist, this ambitious, successful professional, went to. And it says something that Harvey listens to him, and then leaves and goes back to Elwood. Right. And it's not that this psychiatrist immediately asked for things that would increase his wealth or prestige or position in the world. He wanted Harvey to help him escape from that world for at least a time. He describes a very and, awkward ASMR pretty much is all that it was. It was it's very weird, but it's like just want to sit and like have this one repetitive thing and hear this one thing over and over until I feel <laughs> calm. And I'm like we we invented audio programs for that in, in the modern era. This is weird. And you're right. It was he was looking for ASMR. But uh but it, well, he was looking for something as opposed to just 
accepting Harvey as a companion. And, and in that way, Elwood's response to Harvey was the same as his response to everyone. Hi, would you like to go? It's good to meet you. Would you like to go have a drink? When Harvey, when the doctor asked if Harvey could stay with him instead, Elwood left that up to Harvey. Was a little disappointed when Harvey decided to um, to join the the doctor. Was pleased when Harvey came back, but um, he just took Harvey as he found him, same as the rest of the world. The nature of Elwood P. Dowd was there not because of Harvey but alongside <laughs> Harvey, and that's an important part of this. At first, it seems like his happy, friendly nature is part of whatever it is that has Harvey with him. Turns out, no, that's why Harvey sticks around in some ways. <laughs> yeah, maybe the, maybe that's it. Maybe, um, I, don't, I don't know if Puka are eternal or if they have lifespans, but maybe most of the people Puka associate with either immediately or eventually start demanding things or asking for things or wanting things, and he liked Elwood because Elwood didn't. It makes a lot of sense story-wise. Now, I don't know if we ever find out what city, what town uh, Harvey takes place in. It's rather ambiguous, Seems like a middle-sized American city. Seemingly East Coast, but that might just be because of actor sets and such. Yeah. I don't think we have any reason to believe it is a pocket universe that's going to end at a certain point. No. I don't think you can do Harvey in a lot of other time periods, though. No. I mean, no. so much of the story is, is very peculiar to its, its time and place and, and culture and medical environment, etc. Absolutely. Harvey's set nowadays kind of gets killed by the concept of a Bluetooth headset. Because all he has to do is put in one earpiece and then he's just talking with Harvey. And everyone's like, oh, Harvey must be like someone on the phone with. You can kind of get away with stuff in a weird way there. And I'm like, eh. Yeah. Harvey becomes like talking to Twitch chat. It becomes, you know, oh, hi, there's the person in the room I talk with. And they make jokes and no one sees them because they're over there. It's like, oh, this got awkward and weird. Yeah, yeah. You combine Twitch with next year's uh, augmented reality technology and you've, you've got Harvey. Oh, goodness. Harvey's a VTuber. I'm just going to go have a little panic attack now. Sorry, Patreon. Uh, but I'm glad you, you enjoyed this movie, or at least found it interesting. And I think you can see why it came up when we were talking about Donnie Darko. Oh, yeah. This, this one was a weird follow-up, but I appreciate that very much because it was strangely wavelength-related. <laughs> I don't know if Richard Kelly had this in mind when he made Donnie Darko, but it wouldn't shock me. Oh, this is this is a drive-through theater double feature. I just don't know which order you put it in. Yeah. Do you do it or how we do it with Darko followed by Harvey, or do you do Harvey followed by Darko? But either way, you show both of those, and then I think this is a drive-through yeah. movie. Or drive up, or drive-in movie, because this is the I want this on like the big screen, and I want to be sitting in the car because you need that little isolated bubble effect. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us for this. We had fun watching this movie and talking about it. Hope you found this. Uh, this interesting. And of course, thank you for supporting the podcast. We really do appreciate it. We hope you enjoy these shows and we'll be back with more soon.